Hey everyone, and welcome to Cozying Up with the Clear Cut, where we get up close and personal with women that inspire us. Today, we are sitting down with Jacqueline Johnson. She is a serial entrepreneur. She is the founder of Create and Cultivate and the author of Work Party. We have a great conversation coming up, so check it out. Hey everyone, and welcome to Cozying Up with a Clear Cut, where we get up close and personal with women that inspire us. Today, I'm super excited because we are sitting down with Jacqueline Johnson. She is a serial entrepreneur, the founder of Create and Cultivate, and the author of Work Party. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So you started and sold two companies um, before your mid thirties and then created this huge, I would say like a movement of female entrepreneurship. Can you kind of walk us through what that journey was like and how, you know, you got started in this world? Yeah, I always like to say it was sort of accidental entrepreneurship in that way. Um, I was working in corporate America in New York City, had no desire to be a business owner or run my own business. And then in 2009, when the recession hit, was laid off from my job, which was devastating for me both personally and professionally because I'd always sort of resonated with being the career woman, the girl with the um, you know sort of fast track career. And then being laid off obviously was a nightmare. Um, But it kind of threw me into this world of entrepreneurship accidentally by moving to Los Angeles, being at the time, one of the very few people in the world of social media and influencer marketing in the fashion and beauty space, and really pioneering my first business, which was called No Subject. It was a marketing events and influencer agency, Um, really one of the first of its kind in Los Angeles that focused, that didn't focus on entertainment, I should say, or, or gaming or, you know, the big industries here in LA, but really on fashion, beauty and lifestyle brands. Uh, I built that business for seven years and then sold that company. Um, and sort of parallel path to that was my journey with Create and Cultivate. You know, I was 23 when I started that company, was learning a lot of lessons the hard way, as you do, and wanted to share those experiences with other female entrepreneurs. Um, at the time, you know, freelancers, creatives, etc. I started getting women together just to talk shop and have a few drinks and have fun and um Little did I know it would become Create and Cultivate, uh, a community of women that have come together to have real talk conversations about being a modern working woman. And it kind of took on a life of its own. And then I really ramped up on that business um, and have been running it now for almost eight years. And um, recently, a majority of the business was acquired by a private equity firm, uh, but I'm still the CEO um, and a a large stakeholder in the business. So very exciting for, for us. Yeah, amazing. And you've had some really big celebrities and CEOs speak at Create and Cultivate. And like, how did that catch on? Like, how did you build like such a buzz around this, you know, movement to like get women together, talk about entrepreneurship? Um, Yeah. It took a long time. I think people get to see the headlines and are like, oh my God, overnight success. It was not the case at all. Um, It took a lot of cold emails, a lot of people not emailing me back. Um, But really, we were first to market in the fact that we were creating an event and experience um, you know, that was sort of an anti-conference that was beautiful and curated and really focused. And this was 2016. So it was early on in the female entrepreneurship kind of movement where we really started seeing 
women starting companies, launching companies, raising money, et cetera. So we were a little bit first to market, which is always helpful when you're launching a business. Um, and then we also just had a really good reputation. You know, I had worked my way up in the industry as an influencer early on. Um, I had a lot of relationships with brands. I had a good reputation in the industry. And so was able to really leverage that to ask for favors where I wanted some of my influential friends to speak. Um, I was lucky in that a lot of really incredible women believed in what I was doing and was willing to take a chance and speak at my event and uh, tell their friends about it and tell their friends about what a good experience it was. And early on, we were able to work with people like Jessica Alba and Rachel Zoe and Chelsea Handler, who saw the value in the Create and Cultivate community, saw myself, you know, a self-funded woman bootstrapping a business that they could give an opportunity to, which I feel like is such a um, good, you know, ethos to what Create and Cultivate is. It's all about collaboration over competition. And um, we've been really fortunate to have women, you know, like Meghan Markle and Gloria Steinem and Kim Kardashian and um, just really powerful, incredible, in-demand women, you know, share their time with us and their expertise. And what inspired you to start sharing wisdom and career advice to other women? Yeah, I mean, I think it was the fact that I felt like no one was talking at the time you know, when I went online and Googled for help, when I was running my first business, there was nothing that looked, felt or spoke to me as a millennial female leader. Everything was really targeted to men and everything was really um, focused on, you know, how, um, you know, how to do it, but not giving you that real advice that you actually need. And I felt like when I got to connect with women and have conversations, tough conversations, clients not paying you. What do your contracts look like? Are you paying for health insurance? Like when you're first starting out, how are you navigating all this? Um, I realized very quickly there was a little bit of a sisterhood and sharing that advice and that wisdom. Um, and I think there's been a narrative for a long time that there was only room for one of us at the top, right? There's only enough room for one woman to be the CEO or have the corner office or get that brand deal. And I just think that's wildly untrue. And when I put that out there and started having these conversations and talking to women, what I found was is that they felt very similar in that way. And I think it was a sigh of relief when we were able to have these conversations candidly. And that's something that's really important to me. I really value honesty and transparency when it comes to running a business. I don't believe in sugarcoating what goes into running a company, what it's actually like. And what it takes, because I think it does a disservice to do that, um, because it creates an illusion of success that isn't real. Um, and that's been something that's really important to me in Create and Cultivate, which is why we tap our team, which is made up of diverse, awesome women um, in our audience to be like, what's on your mind? What are the issues you care about? How can we start having these conversations? So that's always been really important to us. Amazing. And for... Uh you know, young women wanting to start a company or not knowing where to start, what um, are some like key tips or advice that you would give to her? Yeah, I mean, I think now more than ever, it's easier to start a business. You know, there are thousands of sites and, and things out there from websites to e-com to fulfillment um, that you can launch products in, in a business overnight, uh, which didn't exist when I was starting out. So I think that's one is, you know, tap into those resources, learn about what you need to do to, to be out there. Don't, you know, make it harder on yourself than it has to be. But I also think that you have to go into it with your eyes wide open. What are your goals? What, what does success look like to you? How big of a company do you want to be running? 
what do you, what will make you want to walk away? Right. So going into it really with like open eyes and figuring out what you want to do, um, in the long run, I think is really important and, and just really being unafraid to fail. I think a lot of times people get nervous that it's not going to work out or they're going to fail or this or that. And I think you kind of have to have the luxury of being a little bit unafraid, a little naive in that sense. Cause I think that oftentimes leads to the best business ideas when you put too much on the line or, or too much weight into like what that success is going to look like for you. That's when I think you can get into a little bit of trouble. Yeah, when you put too much pressure on always succeeding, that's when it can kind of like stall you from even getting started. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I always say be unattached to the outcome um, because I think that's really important. So if you become obsessed with, I want a hundred person company, I want a hundred million dollars, I want this, that, the other. Yeah, it's great to have goals, but I think you can almost bury yourself in a hole of goal fatigue um, by doing that. So I think having realistic expectations and goals and being honest about what that success looks like to you. Amazing. And so I know when you first started Create and Cultivate, you know, it was, there were less female entrepreneurs out there. There were less female entrepreneurs getting, you know, um, VC funding or just like funding in general to start their businesses. Now, um, what, what have you seen as like the shift from when you first started as an entrepreneur to now with female founders and like that landscape? Yeah, it's wildly different. It's really exciting to see the growth. I think previously, you could probably name all the female entrepreneurs that were out there on like one hand. Um, and I think there's been this massive shift in how we're approaching business. Um, and women are getting the spotlight. Um, and I think that's great. And I think funding is fundamentally shifting. People are going to start investing more into women and diverse businesses, um, which is an amazing shift that's way overdue. Um, but I also think that there's been this movement towards small business in general. I think previously all anyone cared about, and it's still important, is like unicorn businesses, billion dollar businesses. And I think since COVID, there's been a shift into the appreciation and the importance of small businesses. And I think there's been a, a new set of investment happening in small businesses. Um, that makes me really happy because I think small businesses are the lifeblood of our communities. They are how we support locally and nationally. And we are able to create these amazing brands that create sustainability and financial freedom for a lot of people. And it doesn't have to be a IPO and you know unicorn business to be a successful company. Um, I think also we're seeing a, a flux in angel investing in female-owned businesses. I personally angel invest in female-led companies. I know a lot of women that are being more aggressive with their approach to investing in female-led companies, which I think is really important because I think like to my to what I was saying earlier, you don't need to raise $2 million, but if you can get $100,000 and some strategic, smart angel investors on your side, it's a great way to start a business and kind of kickstart your success. So there's been, um, like we talked about, this shift in like the female founder, female entrepreneur landscape. And I know a lot um, of, you know, female founders, girl bosses that we used to admire have kind of fallen a little bit from grace. Um, what are your thoughts on all of that? <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting time. I would say I think that um, some of it is very much deserved, I would say, in some ways, having read a little bit about like what had happened at some of those companies. Obviously, there's two sides to every story. We don't know mm -hmm. how everything works in that way. That being said, 
Uh, there's no room for racism, um, you know, aggression, whatever it is. There's no room for that at all within a, a business and company. However, I do think female founders are held to a much higher standard. I think that uh, we love to build up women to bring them down. And I think it's a little bit of a disservice. Some of the things that have happened to a few women that I know, um, where them being a, a, diff a tough boss has translated into them being a bad person. And I think that's not true. I think men lead all the time in that same way and they don't see any pushback. And leadership is tricky. Like, I think that it's really evolved over time, but I think there is, you know, there's times when I, my team messes up really bad. I'm up, I'm angry and I want to understand how this happened, why this happened, who's responsible. And that can be mistaken as anger or, um, you know, being upset about something. The reality is it's business. We need to know what happened. And, and if you mess up, you have to take accountability for that. So I do think there is this, we're about to hit like a little bit of a pressure point because I do think there is a huge uh, gap between Gen Z, younger millennials and millennials and Gen X on how we approach work and how we've, we've experienced work. Not saying anyone's right or anyone's wrong. It's just coming to a head culturally as we shift in the work dynamic. And these are the results of that. And I think coming out of it will be amazing because I think everyone will have shifted and changed in a positive direction. But we're in that painful point of getting through it. And it's not going to be fun for a lot of people. And I think that's okay. That's where the work happens. And that's where the magic will come out of this. And we'll find a, a good middle ground. But I don't think that we should be pulling down female founders for being bosses, for making tough decisions, for having hard conversations. Um, as I said earlier, there's no excuse for behavior that is anything outside of that, that could be, you know, mistaken as or be actual racism or discrimination or whatever it is. That's absolutely not tolerated. And I 100% stand behind anyone who calls that out. I think though, we uh, need to also understand that women are people and that we do hold them to a higher standard and they have higher mountains to climb to get to where they are. So I think being understanding of that as well. But um, my hope and goal is that it doesn't dismay other women from starting a business. Um, I think Whitney Wolf did a little speech on this. Um, I want to say at like fast company where she said, like, she knows women that aren't starting companies because they're worried about being canceled or wow. having something come out about them. And that's the last thing we want to have happen right now. I think we need more women out there doing their thing. Not everyone's going to be perfect, but I think it's worthwhile to stand up and support each other when we can be forgiving of those that are learning along the way but also standing up to stuff that shouldn't be tolerated. So I think it's just, it's a hard, it's a hard, weird, we're in an inflection point. It's difficult and messy, but I think we're going to get to the other side where we'll be in a better place all around. I couldn't agree more with everything you just said. Like, it's so true. Um, of course, like you don't want to stand by any abuse or like discrimination, but you know, as, as a woman, 
and when there aren't as many examples out there, you you are held to like a slightly higher standard and you are doing business and you still have to, you know, grow and do what's right for your company. And as an older millennial, I do feel like the disconnect with the Gen Z as well. Yeah, so. absolutely. It, it's fascinating to see it. And I think I've personally learned so much from younger employees, not immediately where I was like, oh, great. Like, this sounds great. Like, yeah, let's do a four, four day work week. Let's do this. When you're growing a company, you need all hands on deck. You're working your ass off. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have seen the gems of what they're trying to do. I also see the gems of what we've been taught and we've learned from each other. And I think if everyone was a little bit more open to kind of figuring out the marriage of the two, we'd be in a better place. But um, I think we're getting there. I do. I think we're getting there. And I think COVID maybe fast forwarded that a little bit. Yeah. um, Because the experience, you know, having gone through a recession in 2009, having lost my job, I understand the stress of that and needing that financial stability and security has always been very important to me. So understanding that and the hard work that goes along with it, while also understanding the flexibility and the stress that we're under and how much like true pain that causes and how hard that is. Mm-hmm. I do think there's like, there's room for growth on both areas, but um, yeah, I think it's something that a lot of people don't talk about or like don't know how to express, um, but it's a painful, it's a painful process. And, um, but we're getting through it. Hey everyone, Olivia here. Hope you're enjoying our episode. Our clear-cut collection features fine jewelry pieces inspired and designed with you in mind. Our collection is ever-changing and each piece is handmade and made to order here in New York City. Don't forget to check it out and use the code COZY, C-O-Z-Y, for free shipping on any purchase. And uh, to transition a little bit, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your book and your podcast, uh, Work Party? Yeah. So I wrote my book, Work Party, in, it came out in 2017, I think, or 2018. I can't even remember after COVID. I'm like, <laughs> what day is it? Um, but Work Party is my first book. It's part memoir, part advice. Um, it tells the story of my first company and then launching Create and Cultivate and the lessons I learned along the way. So there's chapters on legal advice and contracting, hiring a team, growing a team, taking on venture capital. Um, And I get to interview some amazing women for the book as well, like Ali Webb and Rebecca Minkoff and kind of learning from their stories as well, which is really exciting. Um, And then I parlayed that into my podcast work party, um, which now has over a million downloads, which is really exciting. I get to interview awesome women, hear about their journey, what they've learned along the way and have real talk conversations. And what's the most important or influential lesson you've learned from interviewing women on your podcast? Oh, there's so many, I would say. I think like the most poignant lesson and piece of advice that I ever got was to get it in writing. Um, I think that uh, having a good lawyer and being able to take your business seriously from the beginning Uh, for any of the deals that you're doing, whether you're bringing on a co-founder, an investor, this or that, is having that really strong legal basis. Because I think, one, it came out even more so in COVID when everyone's contracts were unraveling and we all had to go back to what was in the contract, which was something that a lot of people hadn't had to deal with. We were lucky in that we had really good legal language to protect us as a small business. Um, And at the same time, you know, I think being able to lean on that and be smart about it will protect you longer term. 
Uh, I think when I was first starting out, I did a lot of handshake deals. I had a lot of trust and faith in people and it really backfired a lot of the time and it really can hurt your business. So I would say getting it in writing is always a good lesson. Yeah. And a lot of times you just want to take advantage of the opportunity and like just move forward and you don't want to, you know, do like the redlining and the legal uh, boring stuff, but it is so important. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important. And it's one of those things where, um, you know, you don't think it's as important when you're in it. And then afterwards you're like, should have, should have been better about that. Yeah, definitely. And that's not like one of the glamorous things people talk about. Um, as, um, a female founder, what advice do you take or like give to others about, you know, when people talk balance, you know, when you're starting your own business, um, you're working 24 seven, it's kind of like your only focus, but people are always talking about work life balance or self care. Like what is your uh, viewpoint on that? Yeah. So I think it's changed, um, a lot and, and over the time, and I think it, it will continue to change. When I was first starting my business, both companies, I was working around the clock. I would work 100-hour weeks. I was always on a plane somewhere. Um, and I really enjoyed that. Did I have balance? Absolutely not. But was it important to me? And was I in like in the mix and feeling good? Yes. That being said, I think I have hit a threshold uh, a couple years ago where I knew I wanted to bring on more senior level people. I didn't want to be the one and only person that could take on problems or fires or be be at an event or do something there. So I put that in place to really help me start with that work-life balance situation. And then now coming out of COVID, have really enjoyed the flexibility of being from home and having more of a social life and a personal life. So I think it really just depends on what season of life you're in and what's best for you. I think being able to have a good gauge of your burnout like your burnout meter, whatever, like I'm pretty good at knowing when I'm hitting my threshold and being able to pull back and take care of myself in that way. I know a lot of people that aren't. Um, and I just think it's really important to continually have conversations with yourself about where you're at, what's right for you, what you need to move forward and how to best build the life that you want. And what are some things that you do for self-care? Yeah. I mean, for self-care, I, I I love cooking. I've been cooking a ton um, since I've been home. So I really enjoy that. I love walking my dogs. I love hanging out with friends. I love interior design. It's like a fun little side project, passion project for me. So I love doing all sorts of things like that, where I just kind of have my phone off maybe, and I'm able to take a little bit of a break and breather and put into place, you know, some parameters like Saturday. I like rarely ever check my phone. I don't really check emails until Sunday night. Um, and really just taking that beat for yourself to to feel like you're actually getting a real break. Yeah, definitely. Are there any other lessons um, that you have like taken from the COVID experience and coming out of that? Yeah, I mean, I think COVID taught a lot of us a lesson in resilience. I think being resilient is such a key criteria of being a business owner. Um these dips, these bad things, I mean, obviously no one could have predicted that, but they happen and you have to feel resilient in that like you're going to get through it. You have to be your own self-motivator. You have to be the one that's leading your team through crisis. And I think it taught a lot of people resiliency and how to move on from like a difficult situation. I think that um, coming out of it also just understanding that um, cash is, cash is king for your business, having a backup plan financially 
personally and professionally is super important. We cannot rely on what we thought we could rely on. Um, so I think those were some of the key lessons coming out of it that I really learned. I also think, um, you know, we fast forwarded into a digital world uh, where now we actually are fully remote. Um, and it's exciting for us because one, we're able to have talent now from all over the U S as, as part of our team, which is really exciting. Um, and we're able to get the work done that we did in the office completely remotely. So I think a lot of like major shifts in the work environment, but also good things as well coming out of it. Um, and I feel like for all the entrepreneurs who weathered the storm, you know, congratulations, pat yourself on the back. It was not easy. I know so many people were in survival mode for so long. Um, and it, I feel like you have to give yourself a break as you get out of it and start to move on into the normal world, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. And to take a little shift, we are a jewelry company. So we always like to ask our guests, you know, jewelry can be like such a sentimental, fun, um, you know, piece that you wear all the time. Do you have any special pieces of jewelry that you wear all the time that have an extra special meaning to you? Yeah, I mean, obviously, my wedding ring, I would say is like the biggest one. I actually have a diamond from my grandma that I used. Um, oh that's God. been passed down for generations. That's in my ring, which I love. And I love adding little stackables like with it too, and little layering so fun. But that diamond has a lot of special meaning into it because it's been in our family for a long time. Did you always know you wanted to have your grandma's ring for your engagement ring? No. So it was so funny how it kind of happened was um, my mom, we were going through all of my grandma's jewelry. She had passed away and she was like, oh, she left you some stuff. And I was like, great, send it to me. And it was just in there. And I was like, what? This is my perfect diamond. I didn't even know what I wanted. I never really thought about my ring. And then I saw it. I knew it was exactly kind of what I wanted. And it worked out that way. Oh my God, that is so special. And that's what I love so much about jewelry too, that you can have it, wear it, and it can live like multiple lives. Totally. Yeah. It was in a bracelet before and now it's like in a ring, which is cool. Amazing. Well, are there any um, like calls to action that you would want to shout out? Anything that people should like follow, look out for, um, for the future of Jacqueline Johnson? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so we actually just launched, this is really exciting because obviously if you're listening, you like podcasts, but we just launched something called the Pod Class with Lady Gang, where we put together a 150 page manifesto on how to launch a podcast or start a podcast from the equipment to the ads, all that stuff. So that's really fun and exciting. And you can get that on createcultivate.com. You can follow us on social at work party at create cultivate. And I'm at Jacqueline R. Johnson. Um, yeah. And just check us out on any of the podcasts, work party, Apple, Spotify, all the things. Amazing. Oh my God. I wish I had that when we were starting out. Same. <laughs> It was a lot of Googling and YouTube videos. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. That's why we did it. We were like, there needs to be just like one place where you can get all the information. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. This was such a great conversation and it was such a pleasure meeting you. Yes, you too. Thanks for having me. It was so much fun chatting with Jacqueline. We discussed the future of female entrepreneurship and the workplace in general. What do you guys think is the future of female entrepreneurship as we move forward? 